and welcome to the Brothers Z. This is a quarterly slash sometimes monthly as it's going right now, where three brothers, John, Peter, and Tom, get together and talk science fiction and fantasy. Mostly we just talk about Star Wars, though. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Uh, ready, ready to talk sci-fi and fantasy. Yes. Yes. I could see why, as a Patriots fan, you would want to talk about oh, science fiction at this point. Well, yeah, <laughs> certainly offensive production is fantasy right now, but uh, you tread heavily. Yes, we do for a team who's out of the playoffs. So I'm going to be, I mean, I'm putting on the, the Vikings gear right now. I'm going to be a Minnesota Vikings fan this playoff season. So what you're saying is your team represents fiction and fantasy. My team, to some ex- some extent, re- reflects fantasy. But John, your team, the Packers, uh, I think I think we're talking about all reality. Uh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, I have uh, to say I've been I've been impressed. So, but you know, I think I think uh, Packers are one and done because the um um the Saints are going to clobber the Vikings. It's not, not even going to be close. You know, the bigger the stage, the bigger the disappointment with the Vikings. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, I, I I don't have evidence to refute the statement. I know. Can you can you guys come up with a scenario for the game against New Orleans, which is being played in New Orleans yeah. against arguably maybe the Chiefs might be hotter than the Saints right now. But the, I would say that the Vikings will lose that game 45 to six. Ooh, yeah, that sounds wow. great. No, that's, the a right, that's a right right the only scenario where the Vikings put up a fight is if they injure the top two quarterbacks for New Orleans because even their backup mm. did, did well when Drew Brees was out so you mean former uh, Viking Teddy Bridgewater exactly it's going to be worse it's going to be like 52 to 3 or something because you know they'll be going against this former team but that's the only way not, my, I'm notoriously inaccurate in my my uh, NFL prophecies, so um, watch the Vikings will come out and clobber the Saints. Right. I used that metric well, really, used to be flawless for me back in the day as I talk over my older brother. One of my favorite things to do um, <laughs> is I would choose, and I had to be honest with myself, what team do I know, absolutely know, is going to win this game? And then just flip it, and that other team will win. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you choose your playoff. Oh, that's how you choose your playoff winner. goodness sakes! Well, I mean, let's 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 face it. I mean, you got three power teams. You know, in 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 European football terms, the NFC this year is the group of death. Was that? And uh, so among the 49ers, the Saints, and uh, the Packers. Who emerges from that that brawl and goes to the Super Bowl? Saints. 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 Okay. That's a that's a brawl of one. It's a brawl of one. Okay. Yeah, I have to admit, I've seen the Niners play a few times. I've seen the Packers play. I really haven't, other than the highlights, I really haven't watched the Saint game this year. That's my new novel, A Brawl of One. A brawl of one. <laughs> this is the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a brawl of one. Now, over on the AFC side, I think it's actually more interesting because you have a couple of real tigers over there. 
You do, but you know what? My my money is on the Ravens. If you look at them, they handed San Francisco their first loss. They handed New England their first loss. And you look at the, how they have performed against the strong teams. And uh, I just have to say, uh, my my money's on the Ravens. Um, What's the name of their quarterback? Uh, Lamar. No, Lamar. Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Jackson. He yeah. looks. He's out there sometimes. He looks like uh, like a dad playing football against a bunch of kids in the backyard. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. And I, boy, how do you defend against that? You know, strong passer. You know, rushing leader on his team. <laughs> Last I knew. Um, yeah, I just. You know, as I love the Patriots, but I've been, as I have already indicated, uh, you know, the defense is playing very well, but the offense just hasn't been able to produce. And, you know, we don't have the kind of wide receiving and tight end core that we've had in years past. So I'm, um, you know, the one salvation is it's, it, you know, offense wins games, defense wins championships. So, uh, defense becomes more and more important as the uh, as the playoffs progress. But boy, well, that Ravens know, a really bold quarterback, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, I, think it's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, having home field or at least a first round bye would have would have helped. Um, so, so one recommendation, John, is you are coming in and out a little bit audio wise. Okay. So you may need to be closer to your box or have your whatever you're speaking into <laughs> clearly trajectory towards your mouth. Okay. <clears throat> there you Tom, go. You, Tom, you're you're a little in and out right there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you may want to clear the phlegm from your mouth. I know. Yeah. So you know I'm what? Sorry. Was that an editable moment? Yes, I think it was. Yes, I think it, we just had an editable moment. Yes. I think I'm in a Yeah. Don't even. Don't even. So speaking of something that's had a lot of amazing moments over the last 40 years has been the Star Wars saga. And so... We are here today to talk about <laughs> to preside over the ending what of the saga the <laughs> of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. So we have some reflections. I think it this is this well, is for, due just to go back and dive into the soup a little bit and think about the saga, where it started, where did we first enter into the fray? So my first question, before we get to my first question, I would like for Pete to say what you're about to say. What were you going to say, Pete? Well, I was going to say for, for two of us, this is truly the end. The circle is now truly complete um, because Tom and I stood in a, sto- a, a snowstorm in yeah. February 1978 in Duluth, Minnesota. So 1978 is when the sled dogs finally brought you know the sole print up to Duluth, Minnesota. And, uh, yes, we stood in line for two hours. When we got to the ticket desk, there were 10 seats left. So we sat smack dab front row and, uh, sat down. The house lights went down and the movie started. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so that is back to the origin. And I have to say for myself, uh, yeah, it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. No lie. Yeah. So it's uh, it is kind of amazing. And this is something that my wife and I reflected on when we saw uh, episode nine when it ended. It's like, yeah, the circle is now complete. We've literally seen every one of these in the theater when it first came out. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. So I don't know what your, what what are your thoughts at this moment, Tom? Well, I, I hearken back to February 78 as well. And Uh I remember not seeing much of that movie because of the trajectory, speaking of the T word of the screen and the seat. Uh Um, but I saw enough to know that I liked it. And I think back then there was kind of a, a mysticism that's probably not the right a mystery around a lot of the star wars story um that yeah. captured my attention a lot it was one part science one part spiritual one part political and probably two or three other parts i can't remember and all that mixed together was a lot of fun and you wanted to be a jedi but did you but you wanted to be like han solo if that makes sense <laughs> and um it was very entertaining and captivating. Um, and I think it captures some imagery of things that were pretty popular back at that time, only did it better than those other things. In the, in the end of the day, Star Wars is a lot like a Western. Um, you see it in The Mandalorian. Um, I'm going into the deep end here, though. Let me pull myself out before I get I lose well, you, sight you of are. the air. <laughs> But I think I, I would agree. Let's keep going. Um, and, you know, uh, I don't know, John, if you have any, you know, initial, you know, reflections from from back then. Um, no, you know, uh, so the original one came out when I was, what, five years old, four or five. So I don't yeah. actually remember uh, New Hope, but I do one one memory. I remember um, it was actually about Empire Strikes Back seeing that in the theater and the guy sitting down next to me in the theater plopped himself down and started smoking. Mm. <laughs> and so that tells you how long ago it was. <laughs> right. Back you can smoke next, yeah, because nobody smokes next to a faulty hyperdrive motivator anymore. Right. So that's, that's, that's how far we've come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I think it was at the Miller Hill mall where they had ashtrays in the, in the handles yeah, are oh, man. I, I, don't, I don't even remember that <laughs> smoking in the theater dang <laughs> so yeah no, i guess i was but Hello. but tom you bring up some some great things that why that first trilogy was so memorable um was uh, yeah it it did encompass or embody you know whether it is myth or mysticism or mysticism, um, but it, it there was a uh, there was something else about um, that original trilogy. It was it, it was classical, um, uh, and you know maybe to the point of being mythic. And, and there was some appeal to that, especially you know in the context of you know kind of a science future although the story takes place a long time ago in a galaxy very far far away um 
but you know it's futuristic uh it kind of futuristic myth and uh there were there was something about it that was um you know very interesting and appealing and uh you know for all its you know maybe especially the first film um you know for all its maybe cinematic shortcomings it just had this something um you know that obviously uh attracted us and wanted us to see more and left us you know looking forward to the next the next movie yeah i'm i want to pick uh john's brain a little more uh what when did you feel like you entered into the into the fray what was it about the star wars films that had you interested in wanting to see them the day they came out well as a you know a boy in the 80s watching luke go from being this whiny little brat on tatooine to you know getting stronger in the force and becoming a jedi and taking on you know the greatest evil in the galaxy that was really exciting you know to see oh you know maybe i can grow up and you know be strong and do something you know worthwhile um that to me i found really compelling um but um yeah oh. yeah uh, i definitely uh echo that um mm-hmm. there was a definite uh identification uh with characters and uh with multiple characters in a very kind of visceral you know kind of don't have to explain yourself sort of way mm-hmm. yeah they made it it made it the originals made it a lot easier to just go all be all in on the story in the characters and the trajectory of the stories i thought they did a nice job layering that's one of my favorite words in podcast layers yeah. yo you have <laughs> the whole jedi knight um the development of luke as a jedi and all that spiritualism and skill and all that goes into that and then the other flip side of it you had this whole kind of the empire versus you know the the little guys versus the big guys and that was another whole story arc and as you split all of that apart you had all these kind of not to get too wordy here but dyads going on you had leia and han thing going on you had you had leia and luke going on you had luke and yoda going on. you know so you had all these right. kind of yeah luke and darth vader yeah yeah so yeah you're it right does. there was that kind of microcosm and macrocosm very uh cleverly or effectively uh layered or um you know interconnected um braided so yes even braided the tapestry <laughs> but yeah yeah it, it was that it was you know it was uh it was art well done um and uh again had this sort of uh mythic or mystic aspect yeah so some transitions have occurred in this saga so as we transition to our next topic which is so from 83 to 98 there's a 15 year drought in the star wars movies the originals were earthy they were lived in aesthetically grounded um, and the prequels that were released in 98 were digitally constructed in plastic and they didn't have that same kind of aesthetic, kind of authentic feel that the originals had. And that was quite a transition for fans. And what did that do to your love of this saga, John or Pete? We'll start with John this time. 
What did the prequels do to your fandom, your fan <laughs> service of Star Wars? Well, my uh, my attitude towards the first three episodes has really actually changed from when they first came out to now. Um, I hated them at first. I hated the look. Um, and it was just like, it was a complete shock. It was like you know jumping in Lake Superior. Um, <laughs> and you know, being for, for, you know, for those who don't um, know on the podcast. Lake Superior is freezing year round, even if it's not covered by ice. So, um, <laughs> so that's that's what that yeah. means. So, <laughs> yeah, it was it was just like this terrible prickly sensation. Like I didn't, I don't think I even saw episode three until not that long ago. Really, maybe oh, wow. five years. Ago. Oh wow! Um, okay, so it's yeah, um, it's definitely the best of the lot. Right, exactly, which is kind of funny. But then the more I watch them, though, and especially looking at um, uh, episodes one through six as a you know really complete story, really grown to appreciate. Wow, you know, Lucas really threaded together uh, an intricate story. How the good guys in episodes one through three create the bad guys for episodes four through six. Um, it makes Anakin. Yeah. Uh, Anakin is easily the most. Uh, I mean, well, that's what the whole story is about is, you know, Anakin's life from boyhood to death to resurrection as a force ghost. Um, you know, he's really the most well thought out character, uh, most complex character. You can see how it's understandable how he becomes a Sith Lord because, you know, driven to it by love and by, you know, to some degree of rejection from yeah. the Jedi. And, well. Yeah. <clears throat> weakness, um, personal weakness. So, all the tragic flaws of, you know, a heroic character. Right. Well, even, I mean, we, hmm. I don't want to see it as strength. Like the, he loves, uh, uh, what, why can I think of her name? Um, yeah. yeah Padme. Yeah. Padme. Right. Yeah. To the degree it's that because yeah, it's, it's because it's being recorded. That's why you can't remember. <laughs> exactly. So, but, um, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that episodes one through three are not only complement the um, uh, episodes four through six, but they they're the storylines are so interwoven, so in, in such an interesting way that I, you know, I mean, Lucas he's on a level of storytelling and world creation that I don't think very many people are. Yeah, he's he's Tolkien esque in that regard. Indeed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have to agree that, well, so for me, when I first saw the, the, the first, you know, episodes one through three, the prequels, um, the digital aspect did not bother me. Um, you know, it was kind of worn by the glow of, of Star Wars, right? And um, so uh, I would say that they, uh, yeah, I was into the story. Uh, the midi-chlorians thing kind of, uh, you know, demystified the mysticism uh, mm-hmm. in an unhelpful way. So that was probably, you know, one of the big ones. Um, and then, of course, the world around uh, Star Wars had changed by 1999. And, um, you know, uh, tastes and sensitivities were different. So... Um, you know, but it was, John, I think you described it very well. It was still a very well-constructed storyline, um, perhaps imperfectly executed 
uh, dramatically this time around versus the first one, I think, you know, dramatically, you know, point to many flaws, um, you know, uh, excessive use of, I have a bad feeling about this, but, um, <laughs> and maybe, you know, whining about some power converters, but, uh, but by yeah. and large, you know, you, you look at that and you say, uh, you know, the first one, you know, the, the sword fight between, uh, Darth Vader and, and Obi-Wan, um, in, in, you know, now that all the rest of the films have been made, yeah, kind of as a standout is, you know, you're underwhelmed. At the time, it was super cool because, you know, you had never seen anything like that before. Um, but now it's kind of commonplace. Um, but so there's a little bit of kind of, you know, drama, um, maybe flaws in the, in the prequels that weren't there in the originals. Um, he really but, did an editor for the, especially for the dialogue, I think. Especially uh-huh. some of the dialogue between uh, Anakin and Padme is just, you know, I love you, Padme. No, I love you more, Anakin. It's just terrible. However, you know, the story itself, I think, is, is still compelling. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with your points that the, you know, the fundamental integral nature of the characters and character development, if imperfectly executed on screen, well thought out. Um, right. And especially when you get I think episode three redeems, you know, the shortcomings of the earlier episodes and lives up to its sort of epic, uh, you know, epic history that we are, we were taught, uh, by the, you know, Tatooine fireside, um, in episode, in the original trilogies. And right. it, it lives, it lives up to billing. Um, it really lives up to billing. So, yeah, I would say um, if I were to to think about the the number one thing I didn't like about the prequels is that the the they would develop a character that you had interest in, like Darth Maul, for example, and mm-hmm. then they would kill him. And then mm-hmm. Count Dooku comes along, and he could be interesting, um, but then he dies right away at the beginning of uh, Revenge of the Sith. And so they Palpatine's always there. But because they're trying to to have a, a um a character that's not just like ooh uh uh I'm the bad guy, they're trying to have some complexity to that character. He's he's kind of a moving target, and so he's not always felt to be this overriding evil force like he was in the originals. And I think yeah, the lack of the a end, do we understand? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the lack of a a coherent narrative through that dark side actually doesn't help um i think that the acting and the lines are really really suffering at times especially in the first two episodes i think once you get to the third episode i think that one it's almost like lucas had to remember how to make his films again um and he was learning as he was going along and by the time you get to revenge of the sith it's a lot better film than Phantom Menace. However, having said that, I thought the ending of Phantom Menace is actually really compelling. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I mean, remember that he always described uh, his films as kids' films. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, aimed at the age bracket that we were in when we saw Episode Four. Right. Uh, you know, ten years old. Um, and so in that sense, um. 
episodes one and two, let's say, are forgivable. Episode three is the only PG, well, was the only PG-13 of the first six um, and uh, for more mature content. But, um, you know, in that sense, uh, he may not have been going for um, essentially or hadn't reckoned on that 10 year old in 1999, you know, was now 30. <laughs> and, um, you know, but still kind of want to reliving the, the, the 10 year old, um, or remembers the 10 year old memories. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I agree with your assessment that, you know, there's a, it's funny. I, I, I've had three conversations recently with star Wars fans who, might be candidates for either future uh, guests on this or Tom, your Heroes Garage. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are huge fans, but one of the, one of the uh, fans it was actually a client. So I, you know, client final report. You know, sort of waiting for other people, and we end up starting this conversation. <laughs> and uh, but but uh, you know, one what this one guy uh, with the client said, yeah, episode two to me is unwatchable virtually unwatchable and mm. you know i guess uh <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um uh now this is uh this is someone who was probably yeah 10 years old at the time and i would say that you know if you think about what star wars was in 1977 80 and 83 when you get to late 90s early 2000s really harry potter you know sort of took the, the Star Wars mantle, um, I would argue, in in pop culture, uh, or in the you know, uh, in a, in our minds at that time. It's the new face. Um, what's that? Yeah, it was the new face. Yes. No, it, well, it, there it was took actually, over the Star Wars, uh, brand space. Oh, yeah. brand space. So there. Yeah. You know, well, there was yeah. actually another movie that that plopped into that brand space, and Star Wars actually suffered immensely from it it was the matrix and it came out about six months before it and it was far better than phantom menace by far <laughs> like <laughs> yes yeah the matrix in fact it's funny you mentioned that because my daughter my youngest daughter is 14 put it on uh the other night and you know we watched it um and yes it's still one of the coolest sci-fi movies ever so, now yes, the Matrix uh, couldn't successfully pull off any sequels that were worth watching, but the first one plopped into that brand space as John uh, correctly labeled it, and then Harry Potter. Yep, yeah. it was firmly well, in that space as well. Well, again, there's for both of those, both Harry Potter and the Matrix, there's a mystical element in addition to a kind of sci-fi or fantasy element. Um, and uh, in those cases, you know, pulled off very well. So you're right. Uh, well put that the brand space had really had competition that in 1977, you know, there was no competition like that. Nothing. Right. And then there were some other like now forgotten films like Starship Troopers and uh, Wing Commander yeah. um, that yeah. were like more of the solo-esque maybe sort of, you know. Um, shoot them up without the mysticism, but you know, again, encroaching upon the the Star Wars brand space. I would say yeah. that in some ways, Star Wars suffered by jumping forward ahead of its capacity to hold it together. And I will explain what I mean. 
they were one of the that was one of the first films that was completely digitally video like recorded and then yeah. on top of it they moved away from mysticism and closer to science with the midichlorians and i think that society hadn't quite made it there yet and i think we kind of leaned heavily into that scientific aspect and then maybe more recently you're seeing creatively and even culturally that there is a a need for a spiritual element and but at that time it was futuristic and lucas was ahead of his time in in recording the whole thing digitally it's just that it suffered because it just didn't look very real very much of the time and star wars had pretty much prided itself on being a science fiction film that felt real i could see that yeah no i think you're spot on with that um so yes the ironically it was the progress of technology was one of the prime detractors of the story. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. From there we had another gap and then we'll, we're, I promise people we will get to our review of rise of Skywalker at some point here, but <laughs> there was another transition that occurred and force awakens came out in December of 2015 after a 13 year gap. And I would say it's safe to say that it woke up the fan base and People were excited. If you go back and look at records, everybody's talking about Endgame versus Avatar. But in the United States, Force Awakens is the number one movie of all time, and it's not even close. It's $200 million ahead of Endgame. Wow. Plus. plus I did not. It should be. Yeah, I, it I, is. Well, okay. <laughs> so it's yeah, not I, I did not realize that until I read uh, a review of, of Rise of Skywalker that Force Awakens was the highest grossing film. And I did not realize that it would buy States. that much in yeah, the United States. States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. almost a 25%, which is, that's like Gretzky esque when you think about right, right. greatness. <laughs> yeah. Um, but from that greatness, we had the fall of the last Jedi. Yeah. And although it made 1.7 billion or 2 billion or somewhere in there, it was such a divisive, subversive experience for so many people. And, Half the fan base, the young, new fan base, millennials, Gen Yers, loved it. Um, Gen Xers and baby boomers, you know, threw up after they saw it and they struggled and it really caused problems and it was quite a transition. And then another transition occurs when Rise of Skywalker comes out, in my opinion. And this is kind of heading into our review a little bit is that Rise of Skywalker had to somehow transition this fan base who'd become so divided by Last Jedi and get everybody back on board again. So, I don't have a question there. That's an observation. Okay. And I think Rise of Skywalker had a lot of work to do. And sometimes work that you would consider to be unfair for a film to build <laughs> pull off. Unfair, but not unnatural. No, it uh, certainly came from the dark side. Um, <laughs> it was like the dark side was actually living itself out in Last Jedi. Um, and so in this, and I'll give a basic, this is what this story is about. But prior to that, I hear some gasping. Is there anyone that wants to comment on that last transition before I give a basic outline of this story of Rise of Skywalker? Well, no. No, okay, good. Okay, so this is the story. So, Rise of Skywalker, Ray, 
is in search of her parents' true identity and her own personal sense of identity and purpose. The resistance is in pieces, and we quickly learn that Palpatine has been alive this whole time, pulling strings to destroy Rey the La- and destroy the Jedi and the resistance. Kylo Ren wants to be the most powerful in the galaxy. Uh, there's a strong force connection between Kylo Ren and Rey, and we're interested in learning how that will play itself out. Ultimately, we go into this story interested really in one character and one topic, and that is Ray. So when you think about this story in Rise of Skywalker, what worked, what didn't? Let's start with John. John, what worked? What worked? Well, let me get to my notes here. I thought the pacing was good. I thought it was a it was a action packed romp through the galaxy. I love the <laughs> um, I like how I also like you know these are pretty you know vague general points here. I also like how they undid a lot of the the mistakes of the Last Jedi, and uh, even kind of made the Last Jedi unnecessary to watch. You could skip right from seven to nine, um, and then it also tied up loose ends and completed the story. But um, with the caveat that even when assessing the good, you have to look at this film as a standalone film, um, as part of a trilogy, and as part of the whole world. And so there's some good things um, when looking at Rise of Skywalker as a standalone film. Um, some good things in its relation to its own th- trilogy, but as part of the whole series, there's not much good to say. Mm, appropriately yeah. vague. I like it. Pete. Yeah. Well, well, John, once again, has described so very astutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I would, I would, uh, so, uh, what worked for the film? Uh, unfortunately, as you aptly point out, there was a need to, um, there was a need to resurrect, um, the franchise for the final, final movement of the, uh, of the symphony. Um, and that took a lot of time and effort and some new invention that may not have been there otherwise that helped fill, I mean, for me, the, you know, the whole chanting Sith, you know, (laughs) congregation thing was, and, 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 and Palpatine, you know, kept alive, um, in non-cryostasis, um, yeah, it was a bottle. little, you know, at times it's like, you know, okay, am I watching Star Wars? Or am I watching Harry Potter? You know, this, this, this guy feels a lot more like, uh, Voldemort than, uh, than Palpatine. Um, yeah, then the quest to find him seemed like something from the mummy, <laughs> didn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, this map. <laughs> so yeah, so I get it. I get it. But, um, you know, it was a, you know, probably a necessary and frankly, well, well designed and executed way of addressing, um, uh, the, uh, unnamed and for me, unwatchable <laughs> episode hate. Um, and, uh, so I would agree with you there. Uh, I like the pace. I like the action. I like the story development. Um, you know, so uh, overall, uh, I, I liked it and I'm glad I saw it. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, there were 
um, unfortunately, you, I had the feeling reflecting on the movie afterward uh, and looking at that in the light of the full trilogy and in the light of the full franchise, feeling like, um, well, I have a, a question for later on that I'll ask, but um, it didn't, it, it couldn't. There was kind of too much to fix with episode eight to sort of end this on the high note. Um, you know, we didn't hit high C, you know, it was probably, you know, it was probably high A, but not high C. Um, but still very worth watching uh, and glad I saw it. And um, when I go back and, you know, I, I saw it once. Do I really feel the need to go and pay $10 to see it again in the theater? I don't. Um, but I'm glad I saw it. Mm -hmm. Well, I have. I've seen it twice already. Um, <laughs> I uh, went for the midnight showing the day it was released. I got my tickets ahead right. of time, right. which is my pattern. So my pattern with pattern. Star Wars <laughs> is to see the film the day it's released in the middle of the night and to be walking through the dark streets of a crowded city while everyone is asleep thinking about the film. So that indeed happened again. Um, so what worked with the story? Hmm. At the story, um, they introduce Star Warsian little niche characters, which worked. Um, you have a little cute little creature on one of the planets that helps pull apart C-3PO's brain. I thought that was that works. That happens a lot in Star Wars films. It's cute. It's fun. But yeah. it, we come to know Star Wars for those things. Yeah, I um, agree. You have an intermingling of of like human-esque, like Poe and Finn and Rose and Ray. They look human to what looks human to us. You have them mixed in with your Chewbacca's and your other kind of alien creatures, and I think that all worked. It feels filled out as a universe, and I thought they kept that in the story, and I thought that was interesting. I like the aspects of the story that had to do with Kylo and Rey and how they were force-bonded, how Rey was wanting to pull Kylo to the light and how Kylo was trying to pull Rey to the dark side. And I like that both of them were not firmly set on their position yet either. And where you start to see that there's good in Kylo, but you also see that there's some evil in Rey as well. <laughs> and um, I like that they reintroduce the idea that this place is strong, the dark side of the force, where <laughs> Rey goes in and kind of battles the dual-sabered Rey of the future, or is it? And there's a question mark around that. Um, I like the end of the movie. I know online and in the quote-unquote community, they've been you know, in consternation over this, but I liked it. I like the end coming all the way back to Tantooine and having the dual moons, having that music in the background, having Ray uh, kind of firmly established as the last Skywalker with a yellow lightsaber, which has been rumored to be in this universe in the live action films for about 37 and a half years. And it's good to see it finally on screen. I like okay. that. Um, <laughs> 
So that's what I liked. And there's probably some other things I like that I'll get to, but I don't want to spoil the next part of this is what we didn't like about the story. And it's hard to stay focused here. This is the story. Yeah. We'll save the character <laughs> for the next part. Can I add some likes? I yeah. like the fact that Finn finally had something to do, which he should have had in episode hate. Um, but um, he did in this film. So I, I like that. Um, and uh, I, you know, you look at the, I mean, in a way, this again brings in elements of episodes five and six again. Um, and, but this time the conversion from the dark side to the light is markedly different, right? Yeah. Um, it is not the, um, it is not the, you know, because in episode six, I mean, that is the crescendo, um, is, you know, is the conversion of Darth Vader back to Anakin Skywalker. Um, here you don't have that buildup and it's done very differently. And obviously the crescendo is really kind of, you describe it as Ray's escape um, from uh, from the clutches of the most evil person in the universe, a natural person. Um, and so that was, it was different and it, it worked. Uh, I guess I, I maybe missed the absence of crescendo um, like there was in episode six. Um, you know, you really look at episode three, there's a crescendo, uh, and you think about the way that the, um, first trilogy ends on a high note, then you go back in the past and the second trilogy ends on a low note, which, you know, the second movement of the symphony you'd expect. So you kind of expect a high note at the third. So maybe it's that that's one of the things, and maybe I'm transitioning from from light to dark here. Um, that where it falls short is that you don't have that um, consistent crescendo like you had at the end of the first movement uh, and the second movement. And um, like you said, there was there was too much to clean up for the third movement to end that you know in that fashion. Um, at times, I will say that the Kylo Ray thing, you know, it really it underscored one of the only bright moments of the uh, of Episode Hate, and that was when they were unified together, you know, destroying S- Snope and his, you know, his dudes. Um, so you felt that again in in Episode Nine, and that worked at time though. The the Kylo Ray thing for me felt awkward uh felt awkward okay john what didn't work for you <laughs> oh where do i begin um, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um it was too long it was too short it was too fast it was too soft no go ahead john. right uh, i didn't like how he they played around with the force how luke as a force ghost was able to catch a lightsaber how Ray transferred the saber to Kylo Ren, like transferring a physical object using the Force. I didn't like that at all. Um, yeah. I, I did not like how Palpatine appeared out of nowhere. It was almost like a bunch of guys sat around and thought, oh, we should have Palpatine pulling the strings. That would be really cool. Um, with no mention in either the uh, first two movies of this trilogy. Um, yeah. 
I did not like either how the, it felt like there were gimmicks thrown in just for, I don't know what, um, you know, like really be, unrealistic thing. Like how be, at be, the end be, of the you mean like when she, when, when she, uh, with the stormtroopers and does the, you know, you don't need to worry about us. <laughs> you mean those? I thought they were funny, right. but yeah. Oh, or, or even like, you know, at the end, in, or in the last Jedi where the, the resistance puts out a call for help and no one answers. But in this one, magically the whole galaxy shows up to help when they put out a call for help. Um, right. I thought that was, um, completely inconsistent. Uh, then Ray taking the name Skywalker to me was it felt like oh it, we can call us Rise of Skywalker so it's gonna look like like Ben Skywalker is gonna come back and he's gonna be like the big great Jedi now but no it's gonna be Ray and um, I don't know I just thought that was like a silly I, don't know, I thought it was silly um, yeah the yeah. whole ending with, with Kylo and Ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought they should not have kissed. No. It, it, uh, yeah, it, it was great the delay, but they should not have. It reminded me of um, this uh, a scene from that um, Last of the Mohicans remake from the '90s, where you know, like this battle going on, and the one Mohican's like to the lady about, "I will find you," and blah blah blah. You know, yeah. like, I don't. It was, you know, like throwing romance in and a battle scene was ridiculous. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I did not like about the movie was basically a replay of, or a remake of Return of the Jedi, uh, complete with a scene where Palpatine's trying to tempt a uh, yeah. young Jedi to the dark side with a battle raging overhead for the future of the galaxy. It was completely unoriginal and, I don't know, unnecessary. Yeah. Those are definitely solid criticisms. So I'm going to keep piling on if you guys don't mind. <laughs> I'll go for it. <laughs> so I thought they could have cut out the first 20 to 30 minutes of the movie completely. Cut it out, put it on the editing floor. The crawl already tells you that Palpatine's back, already tells you that Kylo wants to be the strongest in the universe. You don't need to see much of that beginning part. I would have started this movie where Kylo Ren and Rey are in the desert and she jumps in the air and cuts the wing off the TIE fighter. I thought that they don't own parts of the story that would have made it amazing. Chewie's death, that's erased in two minutes. Kylo Ren's death, which is erased in two minutes. I think if you own those two things and Ray is going to face Palpatine with the death of Chewie on her conscience, the death of Kylo on her mm. conscience after Leia, Princess Leia telling her not to do it, and now she's going in front of the Palpatine, and you think, well, of course she's going to turn into a Sith Lord. There's nothing stopping her. And then you find some light still in her soul. Right. That yeah. would have that would have been the light interesting. which has burned all along. Yes. Yes. I thought the ending <laughs> got me dizzy. It was back forth, back forth, back forth. Um, I thought they didn't take enough time. So these Force users, see, what I don't want to do is get into some nitpicking about the Force because, let's just face it, we just are not up to speed with how the force works anymore. Like a lot of this stuff is in the expanded universe, in the cartoons and in the books and the comics. And I don't, I've not read much of that. I've seen most of the clone wars, um, whatever those cartoons, but these are powered up folks. I mean, Ray 
and Kylo are doing things that Palpatine would dream of doing in his sleep back in the originals. I mean, they're both yeah. <laughs> when, and then at the end, Palpatine uses that lightning and he's murderizing like thousands of ships at once. And then they maintain a consistency. And I said this in another review. I'm going to say it again here. So you're inconsistent all over the place and nobody really knows how the force works. Cause pretty much if you think of it, you can do it in this trilogy. You have that lightning coming out of Palpatine's hands and into Ray's lightsaber, and it stops it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like if all you need to do is hold a lightsaber to stop that, then folks just hold some lightsabers. <laughs> right, right. It just, or it's, it's the power of the person like behind Emperor the lightsaber. Repellent. Yeah, right, Emperor you're, Repellent. <laughs> so, I mean, I, it makes sense. It, it had to happen that way. Like, Ray has to be the symbol of strength in that moment. And so it needed to go that way at that time. But yeah. story-wise, it just felt like it flipped back and forth and back and forth. The, the things that were thrown in that I think John is referencing, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, John, you had some tropes yeah. slash gimmicks thrown in. The Sith Wayfinder, the Sith yeah. Sword, the yeah, Cassie- well- physical objects when through a people are in different physical spaces you have um luke so i'll get to my last complaint and i'll let you guys like jump and pile on me here the other thing i thought that it had to do is erase entirely not only what happened in last jedi but the message of last jedi it had to pretty much erase it and probably it was epitomized in a scene back on luke's planet where he's hiding out where Ray said, you were right. And then Luke turns around and said, no, actually, I was wrong. <laughs> like, yeah. It would pretty much said, forget everything you saw in Last Jedi. Forget right. all of it. Yeah. Because it was wrong. And I think that was the biggest problem with the story, is that it had too much to do. It had too much in its mouth at once. And we all know what happens when you eat too fast. You eat the paper that's stuck to the bottom of pizza, which happened at the pizza parlor in 1978. <laughs> or you have to you watch it down with the whole thing of soda. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great tie back to the origin story. Um, <laughs> um, well, that uh, you, you bring up a lot of good points. So I, again, uh, am the one who... Uh, I have been uh, horribly distracted with work, frankly. So I saw the movie, thought about it. Um, but you're right. There, it, dramatically, uh, I, uh, you know, and maybe this is the point I was making earlier is you look at episode six and as the summation of the first movement of the symphony and you end on the high note. Uh, episode three, you end on a low note, but there's a crescendo. There's a real, you know, landing and the film does stick the landing. Here, you don't have that landing, which should have been on a high note. And you're right. Um, that would have made those element changes would have really kind of pushed a crescendo in a way that the film didn't. Uh, and I do agree that the, I thought the, Going to Tatooine and the Skywalker name was that is forgettable. Uh, that is it's pandering, um, and I don't think you had to do that. The only thing I'll say there, because I think I'm on the I'm in the minority here, I will say that it did pull on my heartstrings because of the 
I'm going to pull this the uh, this card out of the pocket here. For those individuals who are not part of families, who are grafted into families that they weren't born into, it was a. I felt the. I felt it there. Like there's a lot of people that they're they don't they weren't raised by their parents. They're adopted or they were taken on by families who are more loving than the families they were a part of. And I see Ray as that's what happened with her. Her family is the Jedi. The Jedi raised her. And for that, it's it stuck. I liked it. Um, I am a sap, though. I love that. I would say that double moon where Luke stares into those two oh, suns. Yes. There's two, uh, not moons, suns. That and then pulling that at the end, to me, it shows an acute awareness on J.J. Abrams' part that, hey, that's a big moment. And I liked seeing that again. Um, and I like that Ray was in the middle of that because at the end of the day, the one thing that had to happen here was Ray needed to be standing on top of the pile of bodies and lightsabers <laughs> and carnage. And she had to be a Jedi. Star Destroyer. The new hope. <laughs> yeah. And she was. And that. That made it. And I also have to say that visually, and that's another farther down the outline, which I think we'll probably move off the outline now because we're so far along time-wise in this review, but visually this is so much more gratifying the second time around in a lot better theater. The first time I saw it in an iconic old theater in Oak Park, and it just didn't have the visual and sound effect capacities that the icon theater on Roosevelt Road in downtown Chicago did. (laughs) And... We need checks in the mail. <laughs> yes, um, for both theaters. Um, so um, it is experienced much differently when you can visually and audio, you know audio-wise, you can just experience it. It's it. I enjoyed it much more the second time with with someone who my wife is not a huge fan of the Star Wars trilogy. She's not sitting there nitpicking. Oh, you can't do that with the Force, and that wasn't supposed to happen, and this isn't. <laughs> It was just like, hey, how was the story? And and she loved it when Chewbacca came back to life because she loves Chewbacca and she loved the cute little character who pulled the brains out of C-3PO. And, you know, that reminded me that the the story was told in a way that if you're not nitpicking at the force, that you might actually love this film. And I actually right. enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Hmm. Yeah, I think as standalone film, it's enjoyable. Um but the bigger problem with the film and the trilogy is that there was no vision for what this universe was, probably because the story was told, episodes one through six. Anakin, yeah. you know, it's the story of Anakin Skywalker. And then after, after he's gone, you know, I've, I've, I've wanted to think of this trilogy as a missed opportunity, but it wasn't a missed opportunity because there was no opportunity. The story was done and told and, hmm. The, the new trilogy has no function, no vision for what you know what this universe is, what the characters are supposed to do. So they end up just replaying episodes four through six, and not done yeah. nearly as well as George Lucas did it originally. See, yeah, I so I ask myself, and I uh, I guess I I find myself always ask myself, what should seven through nine have been? And again, in the light of, and John, taking your perspective of the nine films, okay, and what was accomplished in the first movement and the second movement, I expected the third movement, uh, and literally this is from 1983, after seeing Jedi, I expected the final movement of this 
trilogy of trilogies to um, demonstrate the reestablishment of, you know, the Force, the Jedi Knights, and the Republic. Right. And none right. of those happened in seven through nine. None of those. You don't know why and, they couldn't. Well, I those disagree. Things... I, I, I well, think, well, well, yeah, why do you say that? Well, I don't think that they could happen because you're essentially telling a positive and happy story and there's no drama there. <laughs> well, I disagree. Um, I think there is drama there. There is struggle. Uh, there is fundamental conflict uh, at a personal but, but and and level, right. and it, it was not it was not even attempted. Um, you know, we go. Right, it wouldn't be compelling. You wouldn't have. I see. It's like why you know Dostoevsky um, had thought of writing a, a kind of like a sequel to Crime and Punishment, but he couldn't do it because the story was told, you know, right after uh, Raskolnikov is uh, sent off to prison and, you know, you know that he's going to be, um, you know, regenerated and, you know, restored to, you know, humanity. Um, yeah. That, that the, the real, the real story of the world's struggle and drama was him coming to the crossroads and uh, admitting his, uh, you know, I don't know, weaknesses, evils, whatnot. Um, and the other, the building up story wouldn't have been as effective drama, but I'm wrong. Well, I think what, before. I think the thing that I will say is that I think what we were hoping back in 1983 is, so I'll build on a, a concept that I've learned much, much later in life is that evil doesn't completely go away and right. good isn't always all good. I think that's kind of the new way of looking at things, not to be yeah. too metaphysical here, but they could have captured some of those elements in a, trilogy that had luke skywalker not you know 100 years old and done away with and what they did is they skipped over that trilogy and they ended up at the failure of that of that era and we went straight to the aftermath of maybe the zenith the recapturing of you know the jedi aura and order in the universe the republic and uh, an overall sense of Mm -hmm. health and you would still have evil because evil doesn't completely go away and some dark force would have been still rising out of the ashes. And that would have been the trilogy, though. It would have been the rise of the dark side. Um, but they didn't choose to make those films. They chose to do a trilogy after that, um, after right. the failure of Luke. And I think it hits on what you're saying, John. I mean, every, any story, just look at soap operas that have been around. I mean, you go to some yeah. of the soap operas that have been around. Yeah, yeah. Who Comic- shot JR? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Remember books, that? Yeah. Debbie, no. Comic books, they've been writing Batman and Batman stories for 90 years. And so there's a way to continue to tell these stories, but you have to find a way to capture some element that actually starts a new story. Like, and they weren't able to do that. Like, they weren't able to do it in a compelling fashion. And so they ended up just doing, riding the nostalgia train. Um, instead of telling an actual story again, is what I'm hearing. Am I hitting on it? Yeah, definitely. I think. Because... No, I, I, okay. I, I, no, go ahead, John. Oh, I was just gonna, no, why don't you go ahead? Because I'm gonna, I was just gonna, you know, digress into a, a tangent go, in America. Go ahead with your your, your digression. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know how to say it exactly, but if 
Are you going to read a more likely to read a book about the American Revolution or the Constitutional Convention of 1787? You know, um, well, I think the the American Revolution is probably more interesting because, you know, is it going to be successful? You know, how did a band of outnumbered, outgunned rebels, you know, gain their independence? Um, But then, you know, once they actually finally win the day to day slog of creating uh, a, a good and just government isn't really that interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Even though it was far um, but, more but, important. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you, you do have like, you know, maybe Shay's rebellion. that <laughs> was, uh, maybe an interesting, uh, take on, or it would have been an interesting angle, but, um, but yeah, it, the, the possibility, you know, was definitely there to have some sort of, you know, maybe a power struggle between, you know, maybe there's another faction uh, opposing Leia and, and company creating a new republic, or, or maybe you know maybe Leia and company be turned into the uh, into despots like uh, you know, Animal Farm or something. But right. maybe they just weren't brave enough, though. Like maybe they actually had a story here, and it wasn't that Rey would be a Jedi; is that she actually turned into the new Emperor of the Universe, and that's the story. And you have a flip that happens where Kylo, because we were never convinced that Kylo was a Sith Lord at any point in this trilogy. Right. right. Yeah. And what they ran, the trouble they ran into is that everybody loved Rey. So that's your money machine. Everyone wants to see her succeed. So that I think influences, or maybe, maybe if you go into this and you actually tell the story you want to tell, then it comes out that way is a more convincing story, but they didn't want to own those pieces and they wanted yeah, to make and, it. And, and, and just to be clear here, what are the story points that you want to tell? What are well, you the referring story, to? The story points would have been, it's always a battle of good and evil. It doesn't matter when it happens, where it happens. Right. It's the context of a right. well-developed society or if it's a colony or whatever. You always have forces that are pulling against each other that you look in retrospect and say, well, that would have been really bad if they would have won the Civil War, or that would have been really Mm -hmm. bad if these policies would have been enacted. But if you look at these characters and you would say, well, what is the intriguing part of the story? What would have made this unique? It would have been actually a rise to the dark side with someone that you thought was going to be endearing and someone that you thought you could fall behind and love and and follow, and that would have been Ray, right? Like if she would have... Turn to the dark well, side, or if, or if on the flip side, Kylo Ren would have become a Sith Lord, then you don't have a need for Palpatine and Snoke's out of the way. And but what they found is that people weren't really that interested in Kylo Ren being the big bad. Like they didn't see it, and they didn't think that that would be successful potentially. And we're just spitballing here, right? These are our opinions. We're just you know tossing yeah, right. on ideas. Well. My thing is that your heroes in this film are not the, uh, and this is maybe emblematic of the the fall from the mythic and the mystic, because um, I think the mystic is yeah, it's in in some ways it's a name only in this trilogy really uh, in this film, and you have a retreat from the mythic as well. Um, and so your good versus, I mean, look at, let's face it, your bad guys aren't really as bad here, okay? And to the point where you have to resurrect the really bad guy in order to have a real bad guy. 
you know, in this right. trilogy. Uh, you have a a sort of good, you know, kind of pure frontiersman um, aspect in Ray, but it's only personal. It's not. It's You're right. Not at the end of the day, you have a good person. You're you right. Do not have the reestablishment of the good system, namely the Jedi, or the good Republic. You're right. So, so yeah. in a sense, the mortal wounding that happened, that you know, provided a new hope at the end of Episode Six. Nothing happens. <laughs> nothing progresses. You're still exactly. down to one one lone Jedi. Right. Okay, that who, as far as we know, doesn't have a plan to train other people, doesn't have a, tra- a plan to, you know, establish good government. So, okay, great. You know, your universe has become um, uh, intensely personal, but these other things do matter. Okay, they do matter in real life, and they do matter in the overall storyline of this, you know, epic saga. Um, and you basically taking two of the three legs of the stool and said, eh, we're not going to do it because we, we don't think it's important anymore. Okay. Um, but I, you know, I think you, you've re- utterly retreated from the epic, the mythic and the mystic in the, in the course of doing so. You may be left with the mystic and that's it. A mystic in the desert. You know, mm-hmm. reclaiming an abandoned home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which sounds narcissistic, <laughs> right? It's all it personal. It, yeah, you're right. It does. And if that, you know, kind of is what, you know, tastes uh, we're appealing to now, then, you know, then we are a worse society than we were in 1977. That's a good, I love where you went with that. John, what do you think about what Pete just said? I'm still trying to process it to tell you the truth here. Um, <laughs> I know. I'll, well, I'll jump in on mine and maybe I'll, you can jump in on what I, I loved what you just said. I think that maybe this is a reflection of our society in general where we can't commit to all good, all bad. And if we do, we quickly retreat from it. And I will go back to Rise of Jedi as my source for that statement. Kylo Ren at the beginning of this film murdered a bunch of people in a woods. He has been running around the universe, attacking and killing people. And he has a moment of enlightenment with Han Solo after hearing Leia's voice on the the ruins of the old Death Star, after fighting Rey and being raised from the dead. And now all of a sudden he's good. Like, some people will look at that and some people love it because you want everybody to have hope. Like, you want have you want people to be able to be resurrected and we don't we would love to be resurrectable ourselves right from our mistakes but on the the flip side of it you're like whoa like that wasn't earned and as a story maybe there would have been a way to tell that that would have maybe been more convincing but when you tell the story where nobody commits to good or bad or this side or that side you don't own any of the story elements it just doesn't have quite as much of the emotional impact. Is that what does that sound like? That, at, uh, at the risk of cutting John off, that that's a good point because you look at you know Darth Vader. Darth Vader had a redeeming purpose. 
that he had fallen away from that he's returning to. There is no mention of a redeeming purpose for Kylo, even though, in fact, he may have had one, but it's not part of the film. Right. And that, that to your point, detracts from the, um, you know, let's call it the, uh, the greatness of the salvation. Um, because, you know, is he turning away from anything? Is he a good guy when he's just doing bad things, but he's doing really bad things? But he somehow skips the jail time, you know. Yeah, like what what pulled him into the what pulled him into the light? Like that's that's an actual question. Like yeah, where's the transaction? Yeah, what is the transaction? What is the transaction? Yeah, yeah, good point. I guess seeing Han Solo's face again, but he saw Han Solo's face back there. Like his belief system was never proved right or wrong. It's almost like we got really upset when. Superman cried out his mother's name and Batman stopped from killing him. You know, Martha, Martha, you know, who's Martha? Who's Martha? In this one, Leia <laughs> shows up and her little voice stops everything. But what else? Like that voice was there before. <laughs> right. Right. Like you, you don't get an, you don't get a real sense of what pulled him into the light, what pulled him towards a different path. Yeah. What pulled him to the dark in the first place? Like, what motivates Kylo Ren at any point in the whole story? Well, you're right. That that part is really not not um, clearly told. Um, it's referred to, but um, yeah, that, I mean, that's it, that's go ahead. Well, they have that yeah that one scene in the Last Jedi where Luke tries to uh, kill Ky- or Ben Skywalker as he was then. Um, uh, or Ben Solo. Yeah, Ben Solo. Ben Solo. Ben, Thanks. Okay, yeah. 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 No, uh, but uh, is that enough to turn a guy into uh, this monster who wants to take over the galaxy? You know, at least with Darth Vader, you know, love made him a monster. You know, he wanted to, um, you know, save mm-hmm. the person he loved desperately, and that you know, you know, you know, turned him into what he became with the uh, machinations of uh, Palpatine going on. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's th- talk about it's not about uh, killing what you hate, but saving what you love. Well, <laughs> which now which you that's, did both. You know? that's, yeah, that's a contradiction because I think Luke got there because he tried to kill what he hated in the form right. of Kylo Red. But I think you look back at that and it's just so chaotic and convoluted that you, it's hard to know what to grab onto. Like, if your trusted master Jedi tried to kill you in your sleep. Like, that's not a great, at least visually, the aesthetic. That's not great. Yeah. Well, it's not a high point for the religion. It's not a high point. Okay. Yeah. It's but you're right. I mean, like, <laughs> go ahead, John. I was thinking, you know, like, uh, go back to the earlier episodes and imagine Mace Windu taking out Anakin or something <laughs> as a child. Um, right, right. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, as, as uh, under the auspices. Of the pre-crime division, um, right. but you know, a lot of lives might have been saved. You know, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, we're talking about a galaxy here. You know, yeah. yeah. Does, does that make does that fill in that void that we're struggling to fill in because we don't know what it is? The void of his motivation to be evil to begin with. Like, what makes him? Is he just a bad guy? And Ray is just a good girl. I mean, is that all we have there? Yeah, it, it reflects, I think, a lack of uh, 
vision, depth, forethought uh, for any of the plot or characters in the latest trilogy. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I, no, I, I right. think you hit it right on. And John, it was your your uh, eloquent description of what, what didn't work uh, and then Tom processing it that kind of led me to what I said. Um, uh-huh. Because yeah, it's it represents a an enormous retreat from yeah the mythic and the mystic, and that's why it ain't ain't you know it ain't uh, at the top of the heap anymore. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. provides a great segue to the question that I want to ask you guys is yes. you know as you know Kathleen Kennedy you know has said look we're going to put a pause on all of this and think about you know how we do this going forward um you know there are all kinds of issues with you know with uh let's say uh doing with lucasfilm what disney did with uh with the mcu um where you know lucasfilm was used to you produce one thing at a time when that's done then you work on the next thing versus working in serial uh or working in parallel um you know, her prior statement that, uh, I forget, you know, all of this content that was produced before is non-canon. Um, you know, why do you buy a franchise and then declare all the comic books and all the stuff that's been produced non-canon? Presumably you want to make films out of that. Um, so here's. I thought it was my... the opposite. I thought that she said it was all canon. Oh. I thought you said it was non-canon, but no, it is uh, canon. Yeah, no, it all is the expanded canon. universe, all the novels, okay, all, all, all right. the well, cartoons. I misunderstood. Well, yeah, then, then, well, I'll come back to my fundamental question: is in light of the faltering of the um, uh, of the you know episodes eight and kind of nine by extension, and maybe seven, eight, and nine, where is is the franchise mortally wounded? <laughs> Let's see. I was well, what do you what do you do for an encore? So we'll do it this well, way. We'll let John. You can tackle the story question. The the story in there. If there's a story question in there. I'll tackle the money side of it. It's made right. seven hundred and thirty million dollars in ten days, and it's gonna make close to two billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, it, it it can suck and still make money. Okay, great. Correct. John, what's uh you know so. So that's our new future that, you know, is, you know, we'll, 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 you know, a B film is good enough as long as it makes money. Okay, John. Well, I would say, um, there, there, there are two, two things to say. The, um, the episode, like, let's say the episodes 10, 11, 12, should they ever happen, uh, to me to borrow, uh, an idea from a friend of mine who's, uh, much more thoughtful than me. My friend Jacob, um, seven, eight, and nine are fan fiction. They're not part of the canon story or anything. They're just, you know, what some guy came up with in his in his head. Um, so as far as far as I'm concerned, the Star Wars universe ends at Episode Six. It was a you know coherent story, um, completely told, and it's done from there. Um, but the other part, the more positive way um, or side of things is that they're a uh, look at some of the spinoffs that have happened. Rogue One, Solo, um, Mandalorian. I think yeah. you've got a really rich universe with really good content coming out, uh, using the framework that George Lucas created. Um, 
Yeah. So I think there there is a future for the franchise, but I don't think it's going forward. I think it's uh, stories taking place inside this universe um, uh, earlier. In, you know, yeah, episodes and, and, or right after, and and more tangential. Because let's face it, what has worked right. outside of the you know the main canon, um, it it had you know Mandalorian. I mean, I'm not through watching all the episodes, but it works because it's a thing. They stuck to the thing. They stuck to the way, um, and <laughs> I like it. Okay, I like it. Um, it's visually appealing. They have endearing characters, and it makes sense. It's coherent, a coherent part of a coherent universe. It, it, it is, and it doesn't pretend to be, you know, mystical, and that's fine. And I would argue right. that the same reason that Rogue One works is, in essence, the anonymity of the characters allows the freedom. That let's face it, anything that touches um, the you know, the nine films, the main characters of the nine films, I think is difficult, except maybe seven, eight, nine, because there's probably some things that you could improve <laughs> if you can find a way to do it. But, you know, doing the backdrop on, on solo, I, you know, as I've said before, was it involved more risk than potential benefit on, um, but Mandalorian. Yeah. You got an open field run there. Um, you know, uh, you know, a, uh, you can imagine a, um, you know, HBO miniseries, you know, Game of Thrones esque miniseries on the Hut cartel. Um, right. Going very well. Okay. You know, but, you know, I think you gotta, you gotta avoid the main characters. The one thing I said to myself is, well, at some point you do a remake, but in a sense, seven, eight, nine are kind of a partial remake, you know. So oh, yeah, maybe, you know what I mean? So remake is risky, right. but you kind of did it also already. So, you know, you got to give it a couple of decades uh, before you bring resurrect that one. Um, well, they're, they're already planned that the three next three movies are coming out December of 22, 24 and 26. So they are making the films. They're just taking a three year break. But why, why put a pause on and what are the three films that they're making? These are the ones that, they were, well, Ryan Johnson was originally slated to do a trilogy. I believe it was reported, and this is going back around The Last Jedi before that splashed and burned. It was <laughs> like uh, stories revolving around the Old Republic, um, which there's this that is kind of Mandalorian esque or Star Warsian rich tapestry. Yeah, yeah. there's it's a new. tapestry there. There's something there. There's enough mystery and mystique, and there's with enough structure in the story. Those could probably be really well told, um, but I have heard that that has been scrapped. Okay, that the films have been scrapped. No, the that... twenty, the twenty-two, twenty-four, twenty-six releases are firm. Those will happen, but oh. the idea of them being around the old republic and Ryan Johnson led, I've heard that that is scrapped. Okay, well, and that—that's you know, I mean, look at the context where you know Kathleen's hitting the pause button saying, guys what do we you know it's what do we do and how do we do this right um and you know uh i think i think there's a tremendous challenge here because basically your central franchise there's a turd in the punch bowl okay and you had to <laughs> you know you had to find the ladle 
you know, you had to dump out the punch bowl and you had to remake the punch. Episode nine. So, okay. So you didn't end on a, on a high note on that one, unless you're the prankster who put the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> Johnson. Okay. So, uh, so that's one, one challenge. Okay. The other thing is, I mean, just having done acquisitions is, you know, that the culture around Lucasfilm where you kind of created the art one at a time, that's very hard to change. And, um, but you have the benefit that the open field run here is stuff that, you know, there's kind of not a lot of prior stuff laid down, or you've got comic books, books, and other content where the stories are there and you just have to put them to film. So, and that, that could be what they do though. I, the, some of the rumors that are flying around is Kevin Feige who masterminded MCU's 10 year run that culminated in Endgame that he's going to be taking over a Star Wars story and that they're going to tell a coherent and they know how to piece yeah. together movies and connect things together in ways that the mass audiences love. Um, we don't know what characters, but there's definitely enough characters there to build a story around if we're getting that specific. But I think your question, Pete, and I love the way John answered it is like, what are we interested in? What story do we want to have told? Like, where does our brain go to? Like when we walked out of the theater in 1983 in the dead of winter, um, was that released in summer or winter? Pete, you would remember summer. Yeah. May, May, May 23rd. May 23rd. Okay. In the dead of summer is what I meant to say. Um, On a Wednesday. It was was winter in Duluth. It was still winter in Duluth. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Given that it snowed on your June birthday, John. Yeah. (laughs) I think one thing that that the Rise of Skywalker did, though, is it did, and they, they marketed it this way as well. Is it is the end of that saga. Like you, we do not have any thoughts about what about the Skywalkers? Like no one cares. That was right. Yeah. But wait, there's more. No. And and I'm glad they did that. They just put the punctuation, whether it was a period, an exclamation or a question mark, they did punctuate the sentence. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or a hashtag WTF. Um, Yes. They punctuated the sentence. That means that since Ray is a Skywalker, her story, they're not going to, since she took on that name, right? she's not going to be part of the story going forward. No, I don't. I think that she has said, and this is getting into minutia that I never thought about when I was 10 years old. But what's been said is that she doesn't want anything to do with any more Star Wars films after these three. I can um, imagine. Yeah. I mean, she's I mean, the, the yeah. one, un, un, frankly, one unsullied uh, aspect, uh, you know, central aspect of that franchise. Let's yeah. let's. Let's call it what it is. So, yeah. And there's there's also um, there's a bunch of rumors like it was going to be Kevin Feige was taking over, then Benoff and Wise. I think they did the um, the Game of Thrones people were rumored to be involved in something at some point. But I think your your biggest bet though is Kevin Feige because he's been successful. He's an in-house guy. He's a Disney guy now. Yeah. Um, that he would take over some rebranding uh, and reorganizing of the Star Wars universe. Okay. That doesn't uh, get to the elements of a story that we want to have told. Though, does well, it? It, it's, yeah, I mean, At again, all. 
it, it could be that, you know, we're stepping down, like I said, you know, the retreat from mythic and mystic, um, you know, to, to action and to characters we're intrigued with, um, that, that makes sense. Um, it, you know, uh, it, it makes sense. And you've got all this content that you can shoot, um, that has, you know, it's kind of known in the, in the circles. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so let's get to, do we need to rate this film or are we going to be able to live our lives without putting on Mike, what we would rate this film overall zero to 10. <laughs> we can rate it. Let's do that. So um, who, who has the strongest conviction about the score that they're going to blurt out into their mic? <laughs> okay, know, well, right? for, okay I'll, blurt, I'll blurt out something here. Again, like I said earlier, you have there are three ways of assessing it. On its own, as part of its trilogy, and as part of uh, the entire world, you know, episodes one through nine and all the tangentials and whatnot. Um, on its own, I would give it a solid seven and a half. Part of the trilogy, I think it ranks even better because it was the best of the three, I thought. Okay. Maybe an eight. As part of the whole world, um, I don't know if you can even rank it because it's not part of the world. It's, <laughs> it's something else, yeah. too. It's a new it's snow. <laughs> it's a new so snow. <laughs> I heard, I heard seven and a half, eight, and then when you got to your third rating, which was in the entire saga, where would you rate it in comparison two. to the whole saga? Two. Okay, Pete. Yeah. Wow. Okay, John, I love you. You have provided the framework um, Fantastic. Uh, for right. for for those of us who follow. That's that's an that's a hallmark of a good consultant. Okay, which is what I'm, I, I'm, I'm Lucas of this podcast right now. No, <laughs> you are. <laughs> I bet you're wearing a flannel shirt, a plaid shirt. Um, so yes, so I do consulting for a living. So that was great. So thank you for the framework. Um, yeah, as a standalone film, yeah, it it's it's a seven or an eight. You know, it's in that neighborhood. As a capstone on the third and final movement yeah it's it's probably more like a six um i think of the three films force awakens um feels the best but this might be the best um as a capstone to the entire star wars saga Ooh, yeah i i'm not i'm not prepared to give it uh, yeah, it's probably a five. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, and that may reflect overall disappointment with what they did with the third and final movement. Um, anyway, um, but yeah, it's, yeah, give it a five. So overall, overall, yeah, I guess like the composite score of a six. Okay. So <laughs> let's see, as a standalone. Um, are, we're gonna sound like Groundhog's Day. I think you go for me like in the seven and a half range as a as a single solitary film within this trilogy. I actually agree that it was the best of the three. Um, I think as a saga, it's better than all the prequels. Um, 
it's better than some of if you go back and watch those originals and I defy anybody to stay completely awake if you're even a little bit tired during parts of the originals. I think sometimes we look back at these films that we we have them so romanticized in our minds that we forget some of the lulls that are occurring in those films. And this is where I get to go off script. I, I still consider Empire and Rogue One as the two best films that I've seen in all of the Star Wars films. And Rogue One might be the best. And uh, Rogue One is easily the best in my inexpert yeah. opinion. Yeah, and there's something <laughs> there's something about uh, Rise and Force Awakens that puts it in the upper that upper group. There's been eleven full feature live action Star Wars saga or Star Warsian films put out, and I think it, it's easily in the top half of all of those. Um, I'm I'm floundering. I have no idea. I have, I realized that my number metric is completely unreliable. I really, <laughs> I really have. So is it like your is it like your football playoff team metric? Yeah. Where yeah. Okay, you should just invert the number. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean nothing. I so I'll give you an example. Once upon a, a time in Hollywood. Have you guys seen that film? Yes. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. It was like, okay, 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 okay. You get to the end. Boom. I love the ending. Like, I give that movie. I did too. I give that movie a nine and a half because of the ending. That's it. They they got me to hate hippies. But it It was, was, it was well made. It was a great period piece. I would agree. It it was, and then you had this flash of classic uh, Tarantino at the end. What more could you want? You know, except Pulp Fiction all over again. And it was, I believe it was filmed on film, on Kodak yeah. Cinema Film, um, which is always a plus in my book. Okay. So that's how I rate my films now. What is my payoff? And is that how big is that payoff? That's it. Like, there's no other metric. <laughs> like, right, right. So it ends up being like, it ends up being like pass fail. Was did it? You know, did it provide the spark that I wanted? I wanted the Ray payoff to be stronger, but I did get it, and. I like the visual aesthetic of science fiction and fantasy. So, so Pete, you've got so, something to say. So, yeah, so what you're saying here, and I think what we're all maybe saying is, yeah, um, the Coke was good, but they cut it down a little too much. I've never used Coke, by the way. Um, maybe that's a bad analogy. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, but, that's why I had no yeah, idea what, what you're But yeah, what you're saying is that the hit was good, but it could have been better. Yeah, it didn't have the once upon a lifetime in Hollywood hit, like where the dog bites and the arms get chopped and guns well, are fired. It didn't, it didn't have the summation of a 40 year franchise kind of hit. I mean, guys, yeah. you know, there's some history here. So yeah. the nostalgia was good. It worked. And I'm devolving back to our prior conversation. But, you know, as the sort of saga ending, you know, situation. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'll probably watch some other things on the airplane. I will watch this again on the airplane. Yeah, I will um, watch it again if I had the chance to watch it. Although I won't because I have so much going on this work-wise and everything. I would actually see it again potentially. It was so much better the second time around. I just it felt like the first time I had to get work all the last Jedi angst out of my system, and I was critical and trying to piece things together and all that nonsense. 
But if you go back and just watch the film, it's like, oh, film. <laughs> but I agree with both of your assessments, though. I mean, we really, I can't walk that back. There are serious, significant problems with this story, with the story in this trilogy. It's not a new story. They failed to tell a story. So that can't right. have this film rated very well, can it? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 and then it, it if you that with you don't have a payoff, you're like, well, it sounds like it wasn't good. <laughs> right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I like your, I like your pass fail, uh, schema and, yeah. you know, applying that to the, the last trilogy here. I mean, to me, it's, it's a complete failure because, um, you know, it's pointless, useless, unnecessary, unoriginal, um, Maybe just like a soulless money grab uh, when you're looking at it. If you want to be completely, and I'll, I'll be um, pushing away. I'll be, more, I'll be more divisive here. I will say the only one that had an actual story to tell was Ryan Johnson, and the problem is it's not the story that we wanted to hear. And you plop that in the middle of bookends that are basically just nostalgia fest. There's no story in Force Awakens or Rise of Skywalker. Ryan Johnson actually told the story. We just didn't like it. We can say all we want about it. He he was bold. It was new. It was so. It was it was bold, new, and flawed. Um, But yes, he did tell a story. Um, And as yeah, I mean, as a yeah, yeah, I I would agree with you. I would agree. So we could go on and on forever. I guess I'm not (laughs) going to give a number. I'm not. I have no idea where. You're not. No, you're going to leave us hanging. You're not going to punctuate the trilogy. At least. (sighs) At least the filmmakers did that, Tom. <laughs> I know. At least they did that. The thing yeah. is, yeah, you have I'm, to this, our first and, and I hate to add. If there's there even no, a one yeah, percent chance exactly, that you can give us four, exactly. um, I there is. There are no family dynamics at play in this conversation right now at all. No. I hate to add. At all. <laughs> um, no, I, but to quote Pal- do it. Do it. Do it. Come on. Do it. Well, I I, I would slap a five on what you said. I'm going to say adding together. That's a family dynamic that just happened. Oh, I didn't want to introduce that. I didn't even mention. I didn't bring that up. That sounds like a Viking howl. Like, oh, (laughs) oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if I can even score it. The probably It's probably gonna have to spend some time in the old noggin. When we come back and okay. we flip on these mics and we decide to talk about Mandalorian or something else, then yeah. by that time maybe the 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 biscuit will be fully cooked. Okay, okay. that would be good because right, so we have a- depending on the quality, that could be a great opening action sequence. Or, you know, maybe a kind of lame ending to the podcast. True. But we'll uh, see. We have a, we have a, the beginnings of the outline for next time. So we'll get the big reveal. Tom's, uh, number value assigned to this film. The last and time I did this was Infinity War going into Endgame. I gave Infinity War an incomplete score because I was so <laughs> angry at what they did in the story. Okay. <laughs> okay I remember yeah. that. Yes. Okay. Well, that's fair, Tom. That's fair. So, yeah, I don't, in I don't a departure what... from family dynamics, we'll allow you to do that. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> we have, yeah, know, but, uh, but keeping with family dynamics, we'll silently resent you for it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Pete and Tom will go Tom and I will have our own podcast in which. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Oh. oh, that is. Well, on that happy note, um, maybe it's time to conclude. <laughs>
<laughs> and for now and until next time, that has been this episode of The Brother Z. Indeed. Yeah.